0: We believe the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a restoration of the original Church established by Jesus Christ, which was built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. We declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel has been restored to the earth. We declare with boldness that the keys of the priesthood have been restored to man. We declare to the world that this is the day referred to by biblical prophets as the latter days. It is the final time
1: before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign on the earth.
0: This section is um, it's interesting that it's its own lesson because Like I think you were saying before, section 28 and 29 technically originally were together. And they were kind of split up into two different sections. And now we're only talking about section 29. And even within section 29, there's like different sections. Like there's a section kind of about the the plan of salvation. There's a section about the second coming and what signs to look for and how to prepare then there's a section about the gathering of Israel and a section about all the commandments being spiritual commandments as well, which I thought was probably the most interesting part of the thing for me, of the section for me. But kind of to start out, uh, the first section in the lesson in the Sunday School Manual is Heavenly Father prepared a plan for exaltation. And it says that in the Come Follow Me for Individuals and Families, they the example was they could list what they learned from Doctrine and Covenants 29 about these parts of the plan, about the different parts of the plan of salvation. And I don't know. I, I think while they it didn't really go into to a whole lot of detail about each section of the plan. It just kind of talked about, you know, like it mentions the millennium. It mentions a couple of other things. <laughs> definitely talks a little bit about uh, the second coming and the horrible things that will happen
1: <laughs>
0: when that goes down. And it's kind of funny because when it talks about that in the lesson, it says something like, some of the latter day events described in Doctrine and Covenants 29, 14 through 21 may be distressing to class members. (laughs) Let them share how they feel. Why does the Lord warn us about these events? Um, I I think when it comes down to it, if you understand the plan of salvation, you understand the fall and the purpose of the atonement, we we real, we don't really have to be too concerned or worried about these horrible things that are going to happen as long as we're striving to follow the commandments because yeah it talks about horrible horrible things happening i mean you, you could even argue that we're going through some of it right now with a pandemic right with uh, natural disasters that are happening there's flooding right now in australia and as of today in nashville and stuff like that like there's a lot of things that are going on that we might look at as normal everyday things. But if you kind of look at it in the right way, um, it's kind of a manifestation of these prophecies, things that are happening around the world that are affecting people. And I think as long as you, as you keep your eyes single to the glory of God and you keep kind of uh, checking back to that, when, when these bad things happen, it will seem like, okay, well, we can overcome this. What's the next thing, you know?
1: Yeah, I think, I think I I really like the beginning of this section because it kind of lays out two things. The Lord is about to answer some of their prayers that they're curious about, like what's going to happen, how is Zion going to be built, what's going to happen in the last days and that kind of thing. But in verse two, um, he starts out with, um, well, verse one, he starts out declaring who he is. I am your redeemer, the great I am. Whose arm of mercy hath atoned for your sins, who will gather his people as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wing. Even as many as will hearken unto my voice and be humble, therefore themselves before me, I call and call unto me in mighty prayer. So he's already saying, I'm gonna tell you what's kinda gonna happen. I'm gonna tell you the purpose of all of these, and kind of break down the laws the plan of salvation. But the first thing he says is, Remember, I am your redeemer, I'm the one that paid for your sins and suffered your sins so right away i kind of feel comforted because you know the next part he says i'll gather you as a hand gatherer through chickens meaning you are not going to be exposed to anything without my protection if you follow the commandments you know right. and then it's not that far that we go from uh, that to um, verse 9 where it says For the hour is nigh And the day soon at hand When the earth is ripe And all the proud and laid to do wickedly Shall be a stubble And I will burn them up Say the Lord of hosts That the weak, that wickedness shall not be upon the earth Bad things are going to happen <laughs> There's going to be calamities yeah. But at the same time he's also saying But I will gather you as a hand gathers you Meaning you will be safe You will be accounted for
0: Well and the key there is in verse two, even as many will hearken to my voice and humble themselves before me. And then that other verse in verse nine that you read, it says, And all the proud and they that do wickedly shall be as stubble. So it's showing you this is this is the difference. Those that are are humble and try to truly be followers of Christ, will be gathered and will be protected. And those who are proud, and that doesn't necessarily mean that membership or that heritage or that tradition makes you exempt from punishment right if you're proud and you're not following the commandments as you should you could be a part of that group too
1: yeah and then and then the next few verses you know from verse 12 you know through 20 through 30 it kind of goes through kind of what the second coming will be like and what I find interesting is verse 21, where he says, And the great and abominable church, which is the whore of all the earth, shall be cast down by devouring fire, according as it is spoken by the mouth of Ezekiel the prophet, who spoke of these things, which have not come to pass, but surely must, as I live, for abomination shall not reign. And we know that the abominable church is any institution that works. claims to be christ church it's it's um, any any belief or organization that takes individuals and gives them a false christ and uses it to get gain and then again in verse 24 and 25 for for all old things shall pass away and all things shall become anew even heaven and earth and all and all the fullness thereof, both men and of beasts and fowls of air and of the fishes of the sea. And not one hair, neither mote shall be lost, for it is the workmanship of my hand. Which for me, it's like, I don't know, it's a great declaration that he is the creator. Everything is his and nothing will be lost, meaning there is no unfairness or corruption that he won't do away with, you know. It's kind of like his it's why we love the savior and why we pray for the second coming is that all things will be righted we know that in this current stage of mortality we are subject to uh, sin and opposition and oppression and some of those things are not our fault they're part of the fallen world we live in some of them is part of other people's agency when they choose to do bad things and in this case I don't know I, it's just for me i i love a good vindication sh- story I, I love a good triumph and this is he's telling the scenes you know this this is how it's headed it's going to get a lot worse for those who do not do the right things and there will be all these calamities and there will be all these things but in the end i will come and it's the workmanship of my hand and i will redeem it type of thing
0: I think it's kind of hard to balance sometimes when we hear all of these horrible things that are going to happen. And we also hear be of good cheer. And sometimes that's hard to reconcile. Like how can I be persecuted? How can I be, I mean, from the moment Joseph left the grove, he was being persecuted and everyone joining the church was either ostracized by their family or their neighbors or their friends. And they're being told, you know, this is, this is the fullness of happiness that you're joining. And yet at the same time, it's kind of, I mean, they get pushed around city to city, state to state, until they have to leave their country and go out across the continent. You know, how do how do they look at each other and say, Yep, this is the fullness of happiness? You know? <laughs> because I think it, it's hard to reconcile that sometimes. But when you look at it as this is a refiner's fire, this is an opportunity to take trials and tribulations and whatever calamities might be coming our way and prove to our God that we're still going to be obedient despite overwhelming opposition, that we're still going to try our best to serve one another and love everyone, that then you can be cheerful even despite the fact that the last days are going to get a lot more troublesome, a lot more difficult, right? That it's not great. Now we get to dread the, the last days. No, we're in it. We're in the middle of it. And instead of dreading everything around you and just looking at it as, oh, this is so horrible, look at it in, in every way you can as, okay, this is part of the process of becoming, of becoming like him.
1: It reminded me a lot of uh, Second Nephi chapter 2, when Le- Lehi is speaking to his sons, and he's starting to tell them about there needs to be opposition in all things. Yeah. And that's where we get the great um, scripture mastery, scripture of adam felt that men might be and men and, and men are that they might have joy meaning that in all the warnings that lehi was giving his children as a father he also wanted to remind them that hey you're to have joy you're you know i'm letting you know all of these things but you're you're to live after the matter of happiness and and that your ability to make decisions is a great cause for joy especially if you make the right decisions you know i like verse 30 a lot i think Verse 30 leads into 31 and 32. 31 and 32 more gives, they create more questions for me. But 30 I like a lot. It says, but remember that all my judgments are not given unto man. And as the, as the words have gone forth out of my mouth, even so shall they be fulfilled. That the first shall be the last and the last shall be the first in all things whatsoever I have created by the word of my power, which is the power of my spirit. And I really like the first uh, line where he says, but remember that all my judgments are not given unto men. And when I read that, I immediately thought of about a year ago, the church did quite a bit of training on mental health and suicide prevention. And we have even we even had uh, Elder, I want to say it was Elder Holland. We had one of the brethren who specifically talked about The erroneous belief that some of these individuals who commit suicide are lost forever. That it was like an unpardonable sin. And they kind of mentioned how they don't know. And it's not us to judge Mm -hmm. what the final state of their soul would be. and, and, And that we shouldn't judge individuals. And that kind of was the springboard into let's discuss mental health more and be more comfortable with the fact that sometimes some of our mental health issues are self-inflicted and sometimes they are a, par- a trial of this mor- mortal body and and we need medical help or professional help to deal and cope with scenarios. Um, and And it was very much like a new awakening because there were a lot of individuals who felt very burdened by the fact that there was this dogma or stigma that those who had mental health problems either had sins and had brought that upon themselves or they just weren't righteous enough or that uh, or that committed suicide or or thought had suicidal thoughts that they were somehow under condemnation and had done something or were doing something unpardonable you know and that that that's what i thought when i read that is remember that all my judgments are not given unto men which is wise because it's kind of saying remember that you're not the judge Regardless of how much you know, you're not the judge. He is. And um, it's interesting that this message is in here as he is explaining the plan. Because uh, once we know the plan, it will be an easy temptation for us to put ourselves into a judgment seat and start judging people. Oh, that person is on this part of the plan. Or that person is... On this part, therefore, they're going to go to this kingdom of the plan and and it's once you know the plan, it's like very easy for you to think that you're now the orchestrator or the or the architect mm-hmm. and and that's a very real temptation among saints that we need to we understand the plan and we should look to the Savior for guidance and he is the judge, even though we see the 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 roadmap it's not for us to judge who's on what place and where they're ultimately going to end up, and where if they're going to make it or not.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, we, we hear things, phrases like, uh, the bishop is the judge in Israel, which means there are some judgments that are given unto men, right? Under the direction of the Spirit, some things have to be determined, whether someone should uh, take a break from the sacrament in order to repent. Things like that are things that a bishop can decide. But I don't give all of my judgments unto men. And that basically, like you said, it means you're not the judge. In the end, there's things you don't know. There's things you can't comprehend that only he knows and that he will take into account and he will make that judgment accordingly. That's super reassuring also because every single one of us has discrepancies. Every single one of us has things that we're like, wow, I hope that this doesn't condemn me because I have this thing that I just struggle with so much and I hope it doesn't end up being my demise. And the Lord knows that. And the Lord knows how hard we struggle and how hard we work to do better. And so he'll take that into consideration. And someone else might not know that. And they might just see you as, ah, what a dirtbag, what a sinner, you know. And that's fine. That's their business. But the Lord looks at it and says, I know how hard you're trying. I know what effort you're making. That I know what what it takes for you to even try to get up in the morning sometimes, you know, if you're suffering from certain mental health issues. He's not going to hold that against you. Uh, I think that's really great. The next verses you were talking about, 31 and 32. This one was really cool. And I think, like, kind of dropping back out of the scripture and into the kind of context of this revelation, it's interesting to note that uh, this is when Joseph Smith had recently taken up um, his, his Bible revision. So he's kind of reading through the Bible, and he's under direction of the Spirit, kind of making... Corrections in Matthew. And we have the Joseph Smith translation section, um, different books where he's kind of making notes as to where translation may be improved or changed uh, to get the message across better. And one of them was about the nature of Adam's fall, right? And so this section is kind of talking about that. And I think it's really cool that the Lord doesn't really bring that up specifically saying like, hey, Joseph, you know how you're working on this? Well, here's some insight into that just kind of drops it in there without really saying it. And I think that that uh, was probably more helpful for Joseph than anyone else. But in the long run, we all benefit from it. And those verses are kind of talking about um, how first uh, commandments may seem to be temporal. But in the end, every commandment is spiritual. And he told them not to eat of the fruit. That was a temporal, it was a physical action, right? Don't do this and why because of the spiritual impact that it will have on you you will no longer be able to be in the garden of eden you'll know good from evil and you'll have to leave and i think about that and i think of like kind of different commandments that we have such as uh, the law of chastity the law of the tithe the word of wisdom those things that seem to be very temporal things physical things Uh, That in the long run, yeah, they are, but they have kind of a spiritual underpinning, a foundation of spirituality that's even beyond just the act of not consuming alcohol, right? Why don't we consume alcohol? It's not just because it makes you drunk or can make you question your judgment, but there's an actual spiritual reason to all of that. Why do we pay tithing? It's not just to fund the church. There's actually a spiritual, much more important foundation underneath that. So that was really kind of an important point.
1: Yeah, I I think about it from the celestial kingdom or heaven. We want to go to heaven, right? And the Lord, knowing what heaven is like and what type of individuals live there, has said, what is the best? This is just on me, okay? This is just the way I look at it. (laughs) What is the best way to train these individuals to, to be here? to be here with their bodies to be here with their free agency having known good and evil because before in the pre-existence we were kind of in heaven but we were innocent we didn't know good and evil we were kind of just like yay everything's nice but we didn't really know and part of the experience to coming here on earth is to exercise our agency and really find out for ourselves and sometimes all of these commandments you know hey We cover the sacrament with this. We we use bread and water. We do this every week. And the spiritual part of it, for me, says these things have as much meaning as you're willing to give them. And you can draw on this well of knowledge through these actions if you prepare your mind and your heart and you meditate and you make it meaningful. If you just make it the action... You're back to the children of Israel and the law of Moses, where you did all these types of sacrifices to to guide you and to remind you of Christ, but ultimately were unable to recognize him when he was in the midst of you. And so I look at that and I say, that's where I think the spiritual aspect of all these laws is something we should always seek to understand, even temporal things, even things like. You should keep your room clean, your house should be in order. Well, what does this matter if this earth will eventually evaporate and blah, blah blah now you know what what is it? but it's like from a creator who began everything by saying, "Look, there is matter unorganized. Let's go organize it. Is there a lesson for in your room to begin to comprehend your Savior a little bit more by look, just plainly looking at your room and saying. There's matter unorganized. (laughs) Let's organize it. And that's where I think about the gospel is simple and it's beautiful because its teachings, when we get to the spiritual aspect of them, I think are simple and beautiful. They're, They're trying to help us to become a celestial or a heavenly civilization. And just as a child needs to learn to do math and they need to learn about fractions, and things like that, and and at their age, they don't know how this fits, you know, they just are being obedient. In time, they will see that my vocabulary, my ability to think and reason have all been so vastly expanded, because I did these little steps in education, you know, and I think it's the same with our spiritual growth and potential, and it's unwise of us to look at something that we think is simple and not consider that the Lord has put more meaning or there's more meaning in that action than just the outward action. You know, simple thing would be, you know, there's a few callings in the church that we think are simple, like creating the program or being a door greeter. And we can we can be tempted to think that is not as important as being the bishop, you know. But what if it is? But what if you treat it as if it is? What if you dedicating yourself to doing your task and doing it for the glory of the Lord and for you? What if the way you greet people is not an understanding of how you know that person, but an appreciation and a love for your Savior and that he knows you and you're trying to extend that love to someone else? What kind of a door greeter would you be then? You know what I mean?
0: Not only that, but the bishop asked you to be a door greeter. And by extension, the Lord is asking you to be a door greeter. And how would we treat it differently if Christ himself said, Feely, I want you to be the door greeter today. You'd treat it completely differently. You'd see it like, oh my gosh, this is what he's asked me to do. You know, I got to do the best possible job. Well, that, that is what happens, right? By extension, you're being called by the Lord to do that. And so, yeah, everything should be approached that way whenever possible magnify it that's what magnifying your calling is about right it's about taking what may be something simple and and making it as important to you as you can and i think that that's that's the same thing about some of these commandments what might seem like a temporal thing pay your tithing uh pay your fast offerings um follow the law of chastity these things might be like okay yeah i mean that's good, but is that as important as other commandments, like thou shalt not kill, you know? <laughs> yeah, it is. It may seem simpler, easier to do sometimes. It may seem like, well, but the church doesn't need my money. You know, I'm not contributing that much anyway. So that's not the point. The point is that spiritual foundation underneath that commandment and what that will mean for you in the long run. When you, the, it's not about the need of the church for that contribution, or whatever it's about what your spiritual growth will be because you're obedient what blessings you'll receive because you're obedient i think that was kind of what he was getting at when he starts talking about adam and eve in the garden of eden saying you know yeah the commandment was a physical commandment not to eat the fruit but really what was it you know it was deeper than that a lot deeper than that
1: i like um 35 and 36 well 34 the whole thing <laughs> Where in 34, he tells us, Wherefore I say unto you, that all things unto me are spiritual, and not at any time have I given you a law which is temporal, neither any man nor the children of men, neither Adam your father whom I created. Which also you know reiterates what he says before and reemphasizes the fact that these commandments are more than just actions. They're more than just an action. Which also, you know, when I... <laughs> When I grew up, Catholicish, <laughs> and you always thought when you go to heaven you just be an angel and you sit there and you sing forever and that was heaven, right? With wings and you sing. And <laughs> when I when I read things like this, it makes me feel very happy because it's like the Lord isn't, he's not in this for himself, for his glory or his. His ego. As we look at kings and a king, you go and you bow and you kiss the ring and they have a crown and everybody, you know, sure, there's deep respect and honor we should give our Father in heaven in Christ. But their greatest desire is for us to guide us and to help us grow. And so when he says, Never have I given to you a law or a commandment which is temporal, I also think. That also means which was meaningless, which wasn't for your improvement, which wasn't to help you be happy. Never have I given you a commandment which was just for my satisfaction, not yours. You know? That's what I hear when I when I when I read that verse. And then in verse thirty five, when it says, Behold, I gave unto him the meaning you or meaning Adam. I gave unto him that he should be an agent unto himself, and I gave unto him commandment. But no temporal commandment gave value unto him. For my commandments are spiritual, and they are not natural nor temporal, neither carnal nor sensual. It kind of just goes back to that. Like, he's not doing this for his benefit, and he's not doing it because he has nothing else. It's, It's not busy work,
0: you know? Yeah, and it's not just to control you. It's not just to have you check a box and give you busy work and have you be controlled. Like, every, every commandment has a, a greater purpose behind it, other than just the words. And every commandment has a spiritual foundation that will cause you to be happier if you're obedient. And a lot of that comes from direct blessings, and some of it just comes from, like, a greater understanding of your purpose. When you start understanding the plan of salvation, then it makes sense. Why does it matter in the plan of salvation that... I pay my tithing or why does it matter that i fast or why does it matter you know well in the plan not eating for 24 hours it's not like oh with that food we can provide for more people or whatever it's it it, there's a spiritual foundation to it that's bigger than just that temporal difference in your life
1: and then it goes through um the fall of adam and eve The garden getting kicked out and then once they get kicked out in verse 42, I I like this part where he says "Um, Behold I say unto you that I the Lord gave unto Adam and unto his seed that they should not die as to temporal death Until I the Lord God should send forth angels to declare unto them repentance and redemption Through faith in the name of my only begotten son And thus did I the Lord appoint unto man the days of his provisions And I really like this because we know that eating the fruit was going to bring forth death. But even after they did that and they got kicked out, and maybe I'm understanding this wrong, but he says, and I didn't cause them to die yet until I I had to explain to them how they can return and how they can repent. Which we know that, I don't know, one, it makes me feel like all of these things were in the Lord's control and in his timing. And, all, and just as it'd be very hard to teach someone the importance of cooking if they've never eaten or never felt hunger, <laughs> <laughs> so that they have to fall so they could understand the need for repentance and improvement. They had to f- realize that your agency in your actions have consequences, but you won't really know that until you're in a situation to make choices and you feel what those consequences are like
0: well and also being told that you're redeemable because you committed this this transgression you've been kicked out of the garden you're by yourself in the in the world well you're obviously with adam and eve both were alone but that that's not the end that you're not in this fallen state forever and for each one of us what that means is each one of us is also redeemable when we commit a sin or a transgression And we feel like we're isolated or we're alone from from God or separated from him. We can still be redeemable. We can still be brought back. We can still repent. And if we know how and if we're we're taught through the gospel, through the scriptures, um, through the living prophet, what steps to take to be redeemed. It's available to everyone and everyone has the opportunity. And I think it's it's kind of interesting in, in the in the Sunday school lesson, it kind of starts out talking about the gathering of Israel. And there's a quote from President Nelson. It says, These surely are the latter days, and the Lord is hastening his work to gather Israel. That gathering is the most important thing taking place on earth today. Nothing else compares in magnitude. Nothing else compares in importance. Nothing else compares in majesty. And if you choose to, if you want to, you can be a big part of it. You can be a big part of something big, something grand, something majestic. When we speak of the gathering, we are simply saying this fundamental truth. Every one of our Heavenly Father's children on both sides of the veil deserves to hear the message of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. They decide for themselves if they want to know more. Our Heavenly Father has reserved many of his most noble spirits, perhaps I might say, his finest team for this final phase. Those noble spirits, those finest players, those heroes are you. When we're talking about the gathering of Israel, in Joseph Smith's time, they were looking for an establishment of Zion. And kind of the first effort at that was in Kirtland. And it was important for to get all the saints in one place because there were so few of them that they needed to bolst each other, bolster each other up. And they needed to be able to have a, a place that they could all receive the revelation and receive guidance at the same time. Now it's different. Now we have a global church. We have the ability to communicate across the entire planet. Now the gathering is more bringing people to the knowledge of the gospel. And that's what President Nelson is saying here. And that's kind of what what we're talking about with Adam and Eve. They were gathered in the sense that they were told, this is how you can repent, and this is how the world works now. You now know good from evil. You now can commit sin, but you can also repent and be redeemed. And each one of us, has the opportunity to participate in the gathering of Israel by sharing the gospel that we have with others, by letting them know, here's, here's how we're fallen and here's how we can all be redeemed. Right. That's the biggest part. And he even says it's the, nothing else compares in importance, right. Than sharing the gospel and getting that message out there to anyone and everyone who will hear and giving them the opportunity to learn more or to reject it. They have that agency.
1: Now, as you were talking, I was, thinking about this verse the last few verses verse 45 especially where it says for they love darkness rather than light and their deeds are evil and they receive their wages of whom they list to obey he's talking about those who choose not to follow the savior and they in verse 43 god appointed unto man his days of probation and that they that believe not unto eternal damnation for they cannot be redeemed through the spirit And then right next to it like in juxtaposition against these people that are unredeemable because they go against light and truth he kind of talks about little children and how they're alive in christ that they're not given that Satan's not given power unto them until they become accountable and 48 is really interesting for it is given unto them even as i will according to mine own pleasure that the great things may be required at the hand of their fathers and then in verse 49 i say unto you that whoso having knowledge have i not commanded to repent and he that hath no understanding it remaineth in me to do according as it is written which is that is written we know in the book of mormon and many other places that he atones for their sins he takes care of that you know so as we look to build zion or to gather israel i think about what is Israel especially in our day if we were to start over what is Israel Israel is anyone who's willing to come and follow the Savior Israel is anyone that's looking for the truth and who finds it will make covenants and will be obedient and will choose the path that the Savior has outlined and so in this path I think there's different levels of responsibilities you know as a parent your responsibility is to bring your children up in righteousness, to give them good traditions that they can pass on to their children. As a child, your 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 right your your objective is to learn to use your accountability, and to hearken to good counsel of your parents, or not hearken to bad bad counsel, you know. And then to others, you know, it just just for me, it just seems like. Often in my initial ignorant assumptions of the gospel, I often felt religion or Christianity was very exclusive. And this thought of Israel was very much, there's a special group of people and they're more special than everybody else. And (laughs) if you're not in a special group, you just have to wait your turn at the end for you to be happy. And the more I look at the gospel and the Savior, every time there's a restoration in his commandments, what he's done to guide the people in the Book of Mormon, what he's doing now with the saints and letting them know, this is my gospel. This is the plan. From from first to last and from last to first, we're covering everybody. Now within that, those who are of pure heart are out there, so those who have need to go find those. And bring them into the fold and those who do not have uh, the desire don't cast them off continue to minister to them because you never know you know and those who seem totally unredeemable or are completely ignorant you know what let me worry about that I'll take care of them and by that it's not a vindictive I have to take care of them it's meaning I will give them I will get I am the teacher I will find the perfect opportunity to give them the full opportunity to know their standing and their agency and their purpose in life so they can choose to follow or not. And that's the ultimate thing is it's all a choice. And how that lesson is presented to us is happens in various different ways. We know that in the pre there were those who were noble and great and had an affinity and, and, and had like this desire and this overwhelming righteousness and they brought that here and most of them became the prophets and good people that they just cannot be held down they're just out there doing good things and then there are some of us <laughs> who were just we're here and we're trying to experience and we're trying to feel and we like this and we don't like that and then there's some people that maybe you know have no desire But then they need the right experience to get that desire and for that we have the pre-earth life we have the earth life and then we have the spirit world and we have a millennial and we have judgments and final judgments and all that and so I don't know when I look at the plan of salvation I always feel optimistic I always feel hopeful and I always feel better about the chaos that appears to be around me knowing that there is a Savior who to him it's not chaos to him He knows what we all need.
0: Well, and this must have been very eye-opening for these brethren that got this revelation as they were asking questions about the gathering of Israel and what does all this mean and what what should we be doing? And the answer they got about the gathering of Israel was mostly about the plan of salvation and that you need to be teaching the plan of salvation to everyone. And I think that That must have been very eye-opening for them to realize yes there will be a physical gathering but at the same time in in the end the most important thing is that we get the message of the plan of salvation to as many people as possible and they get that understanding so they can make the decisions and and repent from the things that they've been doing um, in order to earn uh, exaltation
1: i have a hard time imagining what what the church would was like without an understanding of the plan of salvation you know (laughs) I have a hard time thinking what that would be like because it is the plan of salvation that makes it all make sense it outlines why we have choices why we are hurt by choices why we need a Savior why the Savior came why he calls prophets why he creates ordinances and promises and gives commandments, why we die, you know, and why we hope to live together with people we love, you know. And without, without that outline, I just feel I can see very easily why life would be a place where you would follow whatever whims or try to, Find a path a lot of people who have really strong beliefs uh, and oftentimes are in opposition to the gospel are not lost because they don't know I mean it's they're not lost because they want to be
0: yeah
1: it's more like they're doing the best they can to frame an outline that makes this existence make sense and just as every time the Savior restores his gospel and he restores it because it's not because he wanted to take it away it's because by our decisions and the pride of those who had the gospel it was taken away and they chose not to to continue to follow the commandments and, and follow the prophets and and these individuals out there who have very strong opinions and things once you start looking at them f- from the side of they're trying their best to find meaning in all of this and I, just as we are defensive when our favorite college football team loses, no one wants to. S- it's a difficult thing to look at the outline you've created that makes sense for life, and have someone come up to you and say, "Hey, we have the full truth. You're wrong." You know, uh, of course, that's not the approach. Um, you know, and and so as as we are grateful for the gospel and for these revelations and for the book of mormon and dr Covenants and the bible and all the things we have in a modern prophet we should be careful and mindful of how we express and how we judge others because they may just be doing the best they know how and it's really hard to change it's one of the things we're trying to learn it's one of the things the savior tries to coach us with every week so we take the sacrament is a constant training on how to change it just a little bit change just a little bit and we and encounter people and sometimes we'll read in the doctrine Covenants many times they'll say light cleaveth to light virtue cleaveth to virtue you know And those things we begin to learn that the most greatest thing we can do is live the gospel and be a magnet to people that as they see our good works they they lower their defenses And then are susceptible to learning a little bit about the gospel, learning that the death is not the end, that choice wasn't predetermined, that agency is a real thing, that, you know, that uh, mistakes can be corrected, you know, um, that how you feel now doesn't mean you have to feel this way forever. You know, little things where people, when they feel stuck, they tend to despair and they tend to fortify what they do know. And maybe they do know some good things and have some noble attributes, but they'll fortify it with strong habits or bad habits or or things that we would deem not the right way of doing things, but they're doing the best they can with what they know. And so for us who have a roadmap, how do we help others come onto the path, follow this roadmap without obliterating everything they've done in their life already? We have to be mindful and put ourselves in the shoes of others and that's then the greatest gift is to have the spirit because it will teach us how to teach or what is the right way of sharing and getting into the heart of someone else to share the gospel I don't know if that. Makes well sense. yeah, it, we don't have to
0: be doctrinal scholars either but we do need to have an, an answer when people ask us why we're happy or why we we believe in the church or why we act the way we act. You do need to have enough information or knowledge to be able to teach the basics of, of the plan of salvation. You don't need to be able to go and say, well, when Joseph Smith sat at this desk in this place on this day, that's not necessary. You know, it, if you want to go all that day, de- all tell that depth, that's fine. But really what it comes down to is if someone asks you why and has questions to be able to answer. To be able to have basic understanding of the gospel. To be able to answer so that they can learn too. And get them, get them started on a foundation of, of true principles. Starting with your example and then following that up with if they have any questions about it. Being able to answer them. I think that's very important.
1: I, I think a good starting point is can you answer, can you truly answer the questions for yourself? Yeah. You know, can you can you truly say that you believe in Christ? That you... Believe in the Book of Mormon that that uh, the plan of salvation is real. And when you know that and you've cultivated, planted and sowed and cultivated that testimony and you continue to nourish it, you will see other people's differences as opportunities and start to understand why they are the way they are, as opposed to seeing other people's differences as a threat upon your beliefs one thing i admire of the savior is he was never threatened he was never afraid and that's who we want to be we don't want to be threatened we don't want to be afraid because we know the truth let us be
0: awake and not be wary of well-doing for we are laying the foundation of a great work even preparing for the return of the Savior. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come follow me.